Have no fear of missing out. The show's about FOMO. Your host is Brian Franzo. I'll tell you what you don't know. And now, your host, iSocial Fans. Welcome back to another episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast. It's Brian Fanzo back as always. And I got a treat for you. For those of you that have got a little bit, well, tired of hearing me talk, well, just myself, to myself, ranting and raving over the last couple episodes, I brought on a guest for you guys today. And we're going to try our best to kind of bring you in uh, to a conversation that, you know, we have all the time. We, we, everywhere we go, anytime we jump on a phone call, um, it takes us a long time to actually get to whatever the heck we're supposed to be talking about uh, because we enjoy <laughs> having conversations about everything marketing, tech, entrepreneurship, life, content. Uh, and it also happens to be one of the sponsors of this show. So it's kind of a, a double hit for those of you that know that uh, I've been using the platform Fable to host my new uh, keynote speaker website. And I got with me the founder and CEO of Fable, Mr. Taj. How are you doing, Taj? I'm great, man. Awesome to talk with you in a different context. Like you I said, know, like we, usually, we usually get going and then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm late to get my kids from school. It's been two hours and we didn't even go over anything we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> Which is kind of normal. And even even this, I think we're like 30 minutes into our call before we even started right. recording because we've been talking about- <laughs> I know, we should have hit record like the minute- Yeah, this is, this, is like, this is the exact example, right? We were talking about Armchair Expert. We both are a huge fan of that podcast. We were talking about like data center usage and how cool it would be to see. We, we were definitely geeking out. Um, yep. For the audience, we're going to we're gonna kind of riff on a couple different topics. Um, you know, we, we've met- probably four years ago, five years ago, uh, and really just hit it off on, you know, kind of this interesting spot of like the jaded marketer, yet the marketer that's trying to push limits and change things, but also understanding, hey, this is kind of the world we're living in. But before we get that, give us a little bit intro, who you are, like, um, and then just uh, preview, talk just a little bit about uh, Fable, so our audience can learn a bit about that, and we'll get a little conversation. All right, awesome. Uh, yeah, so by way of background, um, I, I come out of publishing, media, design, art. Uh, I, I've got a liberal arts background, studied a lot of photography and film, got really interested in storytelling and narrative. Uh, I started a publishing company focused in the visual media space. Uh, we started in print, really high-end print, uh, expanded into digital um, to date myself that, I mean, I think we're exactly the same age. So I graduated yeah. college in 03, um, yeah. started that like classic startup story out of the dorm room with my co-founder, Michael Itkoff, who's also the Fable co-founder. So we've been in business and friendship for 16, 17 years at this point. Um, so we started this publishing company. It had, we had no idea what we we're doing. We had no money. We were like broke college kids, just went for it got enough traction selling subscriptions and uh, some newsstand sales that we were able to fund, you know, the next episode of the magazine or edition of the magazine that led into a full blown book publishing company, digital media program. We were really early movers in what I would refer to as like the next wave content marketing. I mean, content marketing has been around forever, but you know, this sort of digital storytelling 
a technology enabled form of, uh, of content marketing. And we just did it organically because we had a ton of great content as a media publisher. So of course we leveraged that to market our brand, our products, our services. We kind of built uh, agency services division off of that. And all the while being like product focused design driven guys, like we, we were never afraid to think that we could build something better than the tools that we found weren't working for us. And so when we recognize this like hybrid space between a global website CMS, like a WordPress, a Drupal, Adobe Experience Manager, and landing page builders like an Unbounce or you know Salesforce Pardot or HubSpot landing page builder, uh, we, you know, we, we saw that that was an area that marketers, ourselves included, first and foremost, because we were only thinking about our own business, <laughs> Uh, like marketers were increasingly living in this like desert that was opening up between those two two types of tool sets. Nobody had really rethought CMS, right? Like yet websites have changed dramatically throughout the history of the internet, predominantly driven by user behavior changes, you know, hardware changes, mobile, et cetera. And, uh, and yet you have like better versions of the same thing for content management system, CMS. Um, And so we thought, well, you know, there's not really like a tool that has been built from the ground up to support content marketers in being the media publishers that they are today and that they're rapidly becoming, you know, for for tomorrow. Um, And we need that. So we started to build technology in-house that solved the challenges of the global CMS from a usability standpoint. So, you know, marketers hate that every time they need to ship a content program and they're subjected to like WordPress, they've got to go to agencies and designers and web ops and developers. And, you know, and then at the end of the day, it's compromised from their vision. It's like weeks or months behind schedule and cost an arm and a leg. Um, So that's a huge problem. And then, land, you know, the alternative is a quick landing page builder, and that's templatized and rigid, and they struggle to get it on brand, and it lacks all of the integrations they need to track ROI. So we were like, you know what? Like, let's let, let's build this thing. It's hyper usable, hyper scalable, and effectively, what Fable has become out of this in-house marketing tool that we built years ago is a, an on-brand dynamic page builder that publishes web pages into your existing website giving the marketer control over everything they need from design, visual media, branding, analytics, to without dependency on designers, developers, or agencies, get their idea published in a format that drives 5x engagement compared to all the other systems on the web. And that's the real data. And I and I do I love that part, you know. And I'm using it. I was actually in the tool probably for a couple of hours today. I'm launching a uh, a pay affiliate uh, page that I'm finally kind of pushing uh, forward on that. I have like three different pages that I'm rolling out, and it's always interesting because I have the pages built on WordPress, my other site, uh, iSocial Fans, and moving you know uh, launching stuff on Brian Fanzo. And it is interesting, like to think about like the disconnect between all the landing pages I built to support my WordPress site versus now being able to fire up something, you know, I'm, I'm duplicating another page that I really liked of mine, customizing a little bit, the branding, uh, you know, the tracking there I think is, is uh, massive. And I love that you 
kind of brought that together. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions about how you guys have stayed in business, especially as business partners and stuff uh, at the end. Cause I really, this kind of, that's like, that's a, such a compelling story, but I think from like a marketing perspective, you know, when you were talking that story and where we're at today, we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, are you solving problems, providing solutions, like where that world goes? Hmm. Like you had, you had a publishing company, a very successful published company. I'm sure there was multiple problems that you would, you were seeing. How did you look at it and like identify like, okay, this problem, not only do we see it that we could fix it, but it's probably something that we could turn into a business or was it, Hey, we have the solution. We really like it. Maybe other people could use it too. Like how did that like mindset? Cause I think so many businesses are stuck in that weird spot of like when to solve the problem and when to use it for others. Like how do you guys kind of tackle that when you guys are going through that? Yeah, that, yeah, th- that's an awesome question. Um, you know, it, it like, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't some, you know, like, ta- like uh, tactile, uh, formulated plan where we're like, Oh, we're going to spin this up inside and test it. And then we're going to build it as a third party product. And we're going to crush it as like a MarTech SaaS platform. Like that wasn't our game. Uh, we, you know, like marketing was a means to an end. It was something like we were always like brand marketing as, as entrepreneurs, like we were always marketing our products, uh, because we always had awesome products that we were really passionate about. So we talked about them all the time. And they all were imbued with narrative and visual media, right? So it was like, we just grew up doing this. And like, to turn back the clock, I, I am like, I am the son of a web developer, like my, my or, or, or a software developer, my dad, my dad worked in, in, uh, in software, and his first job in computers and like IT or whatever, was right. literally debugging computers when they were like mainframes in the 70s. Oh, wow. And his job was more of like a janitorial job where he would have these like wooden tongs. And as moths would fly into the circuit boards, they would literally like create a faulty connection. That's where the term comes from. Right, debug comes from. So like my dad's gig was debugging wow. like wooden tongs, pulling malls out of the circuitry in these huge like mainframe computers. And as a result, he learned about the hardware, he learned about the software, he taught himself to code. Um, and he became a really like prolific software engineer. And, uh, and we all have him to like thank or curse for having computerized standardized tests. So he worked for educational testing service ah. and helped to, and, and led the research and development group that that that, st- that that computerized standardized tests. So when they went from like number two pencils, which was like our like we were that cup, yeah, yeah, we were. Like, you know, like I took the SAT with a yeah. pencil, yeah, and, I did as well. You know, and like we were probably among like the the last few batches of students that did that. Now it's all computerized. Well, that was my dad's handiwork. So as a result, like I'm not a coder, but okay. I grew up around code. Like I, I remember having a PC in the house before Windows and using like the DOS prompt. Nice. Um, and as a result of that you know, like I grew up on the internet and, um, and in, in a very tangible way and one that extends beyond most of the people in our age bracket. Um, For sure. and so I never thought about, you know, like, like I, I think so many people that have started software companies, like they, they think about this market opportunity and then how to like back into a product to get after the market opportunity. And then, you know, right. and, and for me, it was just like, I was like living life, living business. We had a very real problem, which is like, we have all this awesome content. We need to get it out the door to market brand and, and, and product and all the tools that we have for doing that have massive problems. 
But when we custom build something, it crushes from an engagement standpoint. Yep. That doesn't scale. How do we automate a lot of the things that don't scale so it does scale and then we can scale crushing it, right? So like that was literally what we began to, to, to build. So we did it. We started like we, we started using the, the very like primitive version of what is the platform today as an engine behind uh, an iOS um, newsstand application that at the time was called Daylight Digital. Huh. And we and we published these like interactive video enabled like photo essays into these like curated magazine experiences. And we drove subscriptions around that. Um, well, after we launched that, we started getting inbound interest in the technology. They're like, hey, nice. what do you guys use to do this? Like, this is pretty tight. And, you know, it's free of ads. And I just get them, you know, like an hour later, I'm still reading your shit. Like, how do you, how do you, what's the magic? Like, what's the tech? We could use this. So that coupled with South by Southwest Interactive, and, and this is back in like, oh, I don't know. I mean, we haven't been around that long as Fable. I mean, like we've been really building product for like four or five years. And now we're kind of like out, you know, out in the, um, in getting a l- little bit of spotlight anyway. But um, we're still like very, very young, early stage company for all intents and purposes. But like back in 2015, I would say, um, South by Southwest Interactive had, I think the number was 110 or thereabouts keynote sessions, workshops, panels that used terms related to brand storytelling, branded content, brand publishing. Right. And so it was like around that time that we, we, we you know, we built the, the underlying engine behind our iOS app. We were getting inbound requests. South by Southwest Interactive hits and it's just like storytelling, yep. content marketing, you know, like brands are becoming publishers. And we're like, holy shit, we know everybody is ill-equipped for this. Yep. We know that as they scale these programs, they're going to run up against the, the ceiling as far as the limitations of their technology. So we've got to get after this. So at that point in time, we, we were like, we just, we felt an obligation. We were excited as entrepreneurs, but we also felt like an obligation. Um, and lastly, I'll say from a more of like an altruistic perspective, the internet sucks, right? To, like. It, it really, it re- I mean, as far as the user experience, like, sure. I, you know, like the analogy that I give is it's like if you've ever, you know, ridden, ridden the subway during rush hour when like the AC is out in August in Manhattan, <laughs> you know, it's like the most offensive, intrusive, disgusting experience that nobody would choose to have. No. Like that's, that's like going online 95% of the time. Right. And so you know, if we can make the internet a little bit better, and that's ultimately what Fable does, it makes the internet a little bit better for those that produce pages of content and those that consume pages of content, then I feel like I sleep really well at night. And 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 that's like the driver for me, just like trying to make the internet a little bit better now that we spend more than half of our waking life online. Like we should, we should give a shit about that experience and we should demand standards that are not that differentiated from the standards in the physical world that we expect, you know? And especially, I think when we're look, you know, when we're looking at it now too, like, and it's funny, like, so 2015, I was actually one of those speakers. I spoke at South by that that year <laughs> on, uh, and mine was something about video storytelling. So I was right there in that same okay. world. And, and you know, Taj, you you and I have so, we're so aligned in so many ways. I was laughing though because like uh, those that listened to the previous episode, I talked about my dad, and my dad worked. Uh, in candy company. He was a peanut, uh, he owned a peanut brittle company. So we're aligned in many ways, but we couldn't, our dad's jobs, our dad's professions could not have got <laughs> any more different from a standpoint of, uh, I grew up with lots of candy in my house and my friends all love coming to my house, but I was the, uh, I was the catalyst for a computer coming inside, you know, and that, that kind of the world. 
Um, so it's funny, and we're, since we're so, you know, we're so close in age, it's also, you know, it's always interesting to kind of how this, you know, has evolved. And I'm curious, you know, like, then this is a conversation I think you and I had probably the very first time was like, I think we were watching, who was playing? Was it Aerosmith that we were watching? Oh man, it was a comp, no, it was Weezer. Weezer, oh yeah, it was the Weezer concert. It was concert. like front row Weezer, because we both spoke at that show. Yeah, we, we both spoke that- at Oracle, yeah, you're right, that was. Oracle, yeah, yeah, and they had that like super nice little section with the like, drinks oh, yeah. and. I had a headache the next day. I think I actually pushed my flight back. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was, well, I think that sounds, that sounds pretty normal for things that we are going, you know, like going on. And I think when we look, you know, even from 2015 to now, right? Like, and where the, the kind of the world of storytelling is like, you know, I think as marketers, uh, uh, we both identify as that, but we also both recognize that, you know, we can be as much of the problem as they are the solution in different areas. And just even the, the concept of storytelling, right? The, idea of creating something in a storytelling structure, understandable. Um, and I think there, you know, that storytelling is not anything new, but I think actually implementing that to increase the experience is not, not only is it not easy, but you almost have to redefine everything, right? Like I, I always make the argument about, you know, storytelling to me is amazing because every time a story is told, one variable changes, therefore the story has to adapt and change. And so when you're looking at it from like these last four years or so, and like, you know, the audience that are listening to this podcast, they've heard me rant about good things and bad things. And I believe in the power of empathy and making the world a better place, um, you know, with the world that we're living in. But what are some, like, what's something that you see that's like maybe, you know, a trend or something that's been there for a while now since this guy, yet still not changed or still not been embraced in ways? Is there anything that jumps out at you as like, man, I can't, I can't believe we still haven't, you know, moved this forward. We as marketers haven't stopped doing this. Is there something that jumps out for you? Yeah. Um, the, I mean, honestly, I think that a lot of it relates to how easy it is, relatively speaking, to just harvest the incredible stories or narratives that any organization has access to and then create a cadence around packaging them and getting them out the door. I mean, like, it couldn't be simpler. And, and you know, a, a great a great example is, uh, like, I, I grew up in a family that loved watching the Olympics. Like, okay. since before I even, like, could give a shit about the Olympics, like, the Olympics were a really big deal. And every four years, because they didn't stagger them when we were kids, it was like, right, yep. you know, every fourth year, it was, it was summer and winter, and then they broke it up, so it's every two years. But I remember, like, every four years, like, it was a big deal in my house and we would all watch the Olympics. And well, like I have to say, it was basically like sports reporting and it was more about like the athletes on the field. And, yeah, sure. and then, and then at, you know, as like the, you know, as, as we've grown up and as I've continued to love the Olympics and I've, you know, like introduced them to, to my kids and like, I, I love watching professional soccer as well. The world cup is like oh, a yeah. way bigger deal in my mind than uh than the olympics are and we make a big to do of it in my family and i've got kids and stuff as you know and like the 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 greatest example is like right there on every team you have all these people any person in the world if you sit down with them and talk long enough some incredible stories start coming out and the vast majority of the production of the olympics like as far as media coverage is rooted in the stories of the athletes and the teams and like whatever, you know, or, you know, like the under, you know, the underdog in uh, the, the World Cup that, you know, makes it, you know, four rounds, you know, and, and they, they never made it past the first round, whatever the case might be. Like, it's not hard to do if you have structure. And so 
I'd say that, you know, like to, to answer your question, it, it's um, like I am just perpetually frustrated uh, by the lack of ongoing great storytelling from most brands. Um, and I think that uh, at, at some point, it'll hopefully change. But like, it also relates to my, like my fundamental understanding of the fact that products and services need to be marketed, mm-hmm. advertising, marketing, whatever, like, it's a reality, right? Like it just, it has to happen. It's not going to stop. And why does the value exchange associated with brand and product and messaging need to be so lopsided? It's like, you know, look at internet advertising, right? Like the vast majority of internet advertising is interruptive. Yep. Like I'm reading some awesome article. I'm getting deep into it. I'm like getting goosebumps and I'm about to like share it out. And then like, you know, a fucking Hyundai commercial like pops up in my face with a pre-roll video. And I'm like, what? It, you know, it, it is awful. It's offensive. And, and, you know, it's just like, imagine I'm having a great conversation with you. And then all of a sudden somebody like gets up in our face and starts like, Hey, look at me over here. Like buy my shit. You know, it's, 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 it's atrocious and it doesn't need to be that way versus like, I'm reading that article and it's an incredible story about a family like getting in a minivan and driving to the first family reunion that all five generations are going to be gathered at before the matriarch passes away and whatever it might be. And I'm like tearing up and getting goosebumps. And then like, I realized that that amazing story was made possible by Hyundai, but it doesn't talk about the Hyundai minivan. It doesn't talk about the Hyundai brand. It, you know, it's, it's a real human story that I connect to. I relate to as like a family guy and I was swept away by the narrative and it's so much more effective, right? As a form of marketing than like spinning a video in the middle of this great experience. Make the experience, make the story, the marketing, right? I think I, you um, know, I love where you went with that too on like the sense of not only, and it's funny, you didn't know this, we didn't, I didn't prep you at all. I said, we're just gonna have a conversation. Uh, like my episode that I have uh, planned on recording for next week was about disruptive uh, marketing and really just this, oh, wow. this connect and it's, to me, it's so polarizing. And it's funny because when you brought the Olympics, like I watch American Ninja Warrior with my daughters. And, and it's amazing to me that story, the actual race that, that goes on in that one hour TV show is probably nine minutes total footage, right? It is, yeah. It's about each individual person and their battle and their strike. And even like how the winners survived and how the loser had family. You know, and, like, and, and to your point, like, Linking that together, and, and, I, and I feel like even the Olympics, and, and we can talk about it really probably, you know, many brands, especially from a success perspective, we get to this point where we're telling good stories and we're figuring out a narrative, but we don't usually link it together. And then on top of that, we usually kind of do it on a one-off, you know, s- scenario, right? Where it's like, bam, that worked. Okay, now let's start over from scratch for something else, right? And I think it's such a, it's such a problem we have. And, and it's even something when we get to like the idea of branding, like, and we were talking landing pages earlier. And when, you know, when I'm looking at, for me as a speaker, and I'm trying to understand the audience that's hiring me, going to my website, all of those elements, not only do I want to be able to tell a story for them, but I want the story to grow as I'm growing, right? Like, and like, whenever I look at even my, my other website and like some of the content I've created, you know, part of the narrative that I found out was, you know, like, 
not only retelling stories, but touching back and doing callbacks in those stories. And I think it's amazing. And, you know, we're still living in a space where things do seem disconnected. And our, you know, like you said, the advertising being placed within our content usually is not only disruptive, but disconnected. Now, on top of that, we even, you know, we, we try hard to hide a sales call to action or a white paper um, as content marketing. But, you know, to really stand out, I think we do have like a change, right? And I think it's not even a generational change. It's the world we're living in. Like we grew up with commercials, right? Like we know what commercials are. And there's a bunch of people that are listening to this podcast right now that have never had to deal with commercials other than live TV, right? Because for them, like their you know, shows are on demand and it's the world we're living in. But I still think we're, from a marketing of a brand perspective, we still kind of have missed that mark, right? And I think it's interesting too, because you, know, you and I have talked about artificial intelligence and even what data matters, right? Like it's fun to see this evolution, but to, to, I'm, I am curious to see as well how we as marketers become better storytellers as we continue to innovate and continue to change because I think we need a pause button for two years to get everybody caught up. And unfortunately that's never happening, right? Zero yeah. chance that's happening. But it, it is an interesting dynamic and to see the circle of all of these things change. Cause like, as you were saying that about the Olympics and about, you know, it is why, and you're like, the reason we love underdogs is because usually we learn the story about that, that, comp, that, that team along the way, because we're like, who are they? And then they, they interview them. Right? We learn all these crazy things if we had learned that same amount of stuff about the team that was, you know, equally favored to win it, we probably would have cared about them equally. Right. But like it is, a, there's a, there is such an interesting piece. And I think, you know, you work with a lot of enterprise um, level brands as well. And uh, for me, that's a space that I play in as well. And I think as enterprise brands, you know, the idea of acting like a startup is silly, right? Like you're a giant freaking yeah. company. But the idea of understanding experiences and storytelling at an individual level is powerful. So I'm curious from like, you know, as you see the brands that you're working with, some of the problems you're solving, are people start, are, are, are brands or especially on the enterprise side, starting to think smaller or starting to think bigger and telling, retelling a story because just because they've been around for 60 years doesn't mean anyone knows what they're doing, right? Like how, how have you seen that kind of dynamic from where, you know, kind of these things are going as far as brands telling their story and wanting to either reinvent the wheel or kind of extending what, what kind of people already know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I have seen a lot of changes in a remarkably short period of time, given the fact that, you know, enterprises are like the Titanic and they just take forever to turn. And yes, right? so I say, I say like an elephant it takes forever to turn. I yeah, agree. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Exactly. And, and so given that dynamic, like, honestly, I'm, I'm really impressed with a lot of the big players. I think uh, a luminary example, uh, which is not particularly sexy, but is, is HP enterprise mm -hmm. HPE. So HPE um, has an entire brand publishing group in these like dope design studio style offices in Chelsea in, in Manhattan. And it is a full blown publishing company that only publishes content on behalf of HPE. And it is run by seasoned, you know, uh, tech editors and journalists. It's got, you know, uh, trained, trained, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, content creation professionals and designers and they're a publishing machine and they've made the investment uh, I, I think they actually acquired a pre-existing uh like you know boutique b2b publishing agency or something and that was sort of like the backbone of uh, of uh what has become uh hpe's publishing group 
Um, but like th that's a beautiful example. You know, make an investment. Yep. Hire the right people that are storytellers that operate with editorial integrity that know the game inside out because they came out of the publishing industry and they're formally trained as such. Give them the tools that they need. Give them the budget and step back and let them do their thing and watch how quickly people are subscribing to your different you know blogs and content programs and episodic you know your podcast like whatever whatever it might be the like the the, the results are real. But those that are doing like the ad hoc thing, they're like, okay, like we need more humanization in our case studies. And we're going to, you know, talk about this, this marketer who just stood up against the odds and the CMO had an antiquated strategy and she was relentless. And, you know, eventually like they, it's like, yeah, to your point, it's a one-off, right? It's yeah. like, okay, cool. Like you guys did that one time and you like bought a bunch of media against it. And now all of a sudden you're like a human storytelling organization. No, I'm sorry. Like I, I, I don't buy it. So it's about commitment. It's yep. about going deep. It's about investment. It's about fundamentally believing that storytellers have as much like inherent value and can contribute to the bottom line ultimately as much as like the traditional tech product marketers that you used to think to recruit when you needed to like stand up a new product marketing division. Um, and I think you know, so, it's funny you brought up yeah. you brought up HP and so I I, I spoke at an HP event uh, a year and a half ago and it was the last event where the two of them were together it was before like the full HP divide and I was amazed by both sides being really good storytelling content marketers even the the advertising at the event which was an HP event was really fun and dynamic they had some motivational quotes that had like a had like a, a tinge into like HP innovation but it was you know thing and I and and I've actually talked about them on on this podcast as well and it was funny that you said that because there is an element too of not only investing in the hardware the software but it's investing in like the true storytellers that it is their job right because I think there's there's often and, and I say this a lot too is you know as a entrepreneur, solopreneur, like the job of me is I'm telling my story, right? So it's putting, I'm transparent, I'm putting my things out there. But if you're wanting to tell stories of giant organizations that have been around for a long time are also doing thousands of different things, it's a full-time job for, for individuals to understand what elements of that story are compelling, how you move needles, right? And I think that that is something where the, we're making some mistakes. I think when even when it comes to like video creation and understanding that, you know, you, yes, you can tell, you can have someone that's a good host. You can have under someone that it has created fairly good content, but for someone to share a story narrative over the long term, especially in a video format, that's a skill, right? That's a skill not only you have to hire for, but it's a skill you have to embrace. And then you need to serve it up in a platform and a location that allows it to be successful, right? Throwing it into the, the cog of YouTube to live in how-to searches is not the freaking answer, right? And I think that is, yeah. and, I, and there's something you said earlier that I kind of wanted to tie back into because you and I discussed this as we were talking about the Fable platform, um, but I think it's even a bigger discussion in marketing as a whole. You know, simplicity is the hardest thing we have to do, right? Making things simple is way harder than everything else that we, we do in this space. But there's also an element, like we're getting very spoiled in having something simple, <laughs> having it on demand, being able to have all of the components. Um, and, you know, and I love some of the innovation you guys have been making even inside of Fable since I've started using it, some of the, the user enhancements, some of the things. But there's also like kind of like a place where we're in where it's like, 
to be simple, you also have to be willing to give away, you know, give up on some things. You have to be willing to kind of prioritize. How do you, as you know, if you were looking at marketers that are listening to this and they're they're trying to figure out where to spend their money, um, you know, and it's even beyond, you know, replacing data, you know, landing pages or websites, but it's more of like, if, if I need to get simple with my message, with my storytelling and simplify my connection with my audience, where do you see that simplicity? Like where, where are some things that you think of when you're, when you're looking at this simple approach in delivering something that the audience can, you know, you know, your audience as well as the users of platforms kind of take it and, and kind of move forward on that. Do you, do you, do you think about that? Cause I think, I think your platform, even like you don't call them pages, you call them stories, right? There's, there's, there's little tweaks that help, I think as a user, almost frame your mind differently. But by doing that, you're now, you know, you're restarting the wheel in many cases. How do you approach simplicity in this kind of design and marketing world? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it probably stems back or stems from my, my background in art and design. And like, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The arch- Bauhaus architect, Mies van der Rohe. Uh, you know, is very famous for the quote, less is more, right? right? And, and in the Bauhaus School of Design, which is a, a German, you know, de- design school that all of modernism stemmed from. So when we think of like mid-century modern design, like those roots are in a very established design school uh, called the Bauhaus School of Design. And it was about marrying functionality with aesthetics in the purest and most simple way. So it wasn't just about like, oh, I need an armchair, so it needs to be a chair with arms. It was about like, how do I do that in the simplest way that is simultaneously the most functional and part of the function of this armchair is sitting in my living room and being looked at every single day by my family and friends, you know, uh, and, and, and it's a part of my life. So the, like part of its purpose, in addition to sitting in and putting your arms in, is to be looked at. And right. therefore, we have to consider how it looks. So that, like, that's very much um, just imbued in who I am. And so when it comes to product design, and I do consider myself a product designer at this point, um, you know, a, 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 a driving approach is, like, what is the purpose of this? Who are the users of it that are affected by this product or this feature? Um, and how do we ensure that it is as functional as possible while being as simple as possible and using a tool on the web is an aesthetic experience, right? Right. Like a user interface is designed. So how do we make sure that it's beautiful, that it's, you know, a sticky product because we like to use it because the UI, the user interface, the UX, the user experience is like slick and I get it. It's intuitive. So these are all the things that kind of like go just naturally into my thinking about product design and fundamentally imbued in fable are those types of um uh like design processes so we you know we we and back to like that value exchange comment that i made a while ago where you know like the 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 market like the the company that's marketing its product might get ahead in terms of clicks on an ad unit by annoying the shit out of millions of people therefore extracting value from the user experience to add value to like their marketing campaign success spreadsheet, right? <laughs> I like that, like that's one approach or the brand and let's just run with Hyundai because that's what I randomly mentioned a minute ago, like 
partners with the storyteller or the magazine or whatever the case sponsors their storytellers to produce awesome stories that relate back to the consumer base they're targeting. And in so doing, they add value to the consumer's life through a phenomenal content experience, narrative, great visuals, whatever. And by creating that emotional connection organically through a very real story, they add value back to the brand, right? And so when we design products, software products, we think about you know, a, a feature that we're going to ship. And like, you, it, it's so awesome to talk to you because you are a Fable like client and user, right? And so, you know, like when we introduced the style editor, which for those of you that don't know Fable is a pretty simple tool, but is also very like transformational. It allows for on the fly styling of text that doesn't rely on a different user interface or a pre-existing design theme to be applied. So in other words, if I am Hyundai and I have my, my Hyundai brand and style guideline built out as design theme, in Fable, once that's been onboarded, I can build a page of content with text and images and videos and products and a form and whatever else, click the Hyundai brand theme and boom, the whole thing is skinned, 100% parity with Hyundai's branding and the story is published. So I eliminate the branding agency, the design team, the creative agency, and allow the marketer to do that. But if you want to vary from that for a stylistic or creative reason when you're building a story, it was problematic for the Fable user. So we had to think about how do we approach this so that we can introduce a style editor that allows for the storyteller or the marketer or the page builder to manipulate and style a subsection of text in this page in such a way that's efficient and gives them the customizability that they want. And at the same time, adds value to the end user or the reader of that story. Yep. So that's a great example how, of like how we use design thinking and simplicity in every single facet of Fable's product. We think about, okay, if we're introducing this feature to solve a problem for our end user, our clients, how does their use of that feature affect their audiences? For sure. And if we don't have clarity on it adding value to both the user of the tool, our client, and their audience, then yep. we've got more work to do before we move forward the development of that feature. Um, I love that. And, and I, you know, and it shines through. And I love that you're thinking like downstream, but also downstream from like a enablement use, uh, you know, perspective, right? And I think, you know, even within the platform, one of the things that I like that I didn't realize was that I was missing um, in previous other platforms was just the idea that I have a thumbnail and a, a snapshot of the of each page when I'm looking at all of my page as I'm you know, like that, that wasn't something I ever realized I missed. And now that I have it and I open up like a word and I'm like, what? Like, I don't, I, not only do I not have that idea, but like what you're like, it's a share graph. There's so many like little things in there, but there's also from like the average user. And I think for, you know, for as marketers, it's very easy for us to kind of like, Hey, our user wants this, let's just give it to them. Right. And I think when we, we truly start adding value and pushing needles is to your point, Hey, our users need this, but our users that they're serve the people that they're serving, how is this going to make that person's lives better? Because mm. especially in this B2B space, where if, if those changes and enabling those changes aren't making my experience for my users better, even though me as the user of Fable, it's, it's not going to, you know, kind of, it, it, it's an interesting, I love that kind of level of design thinking. And I think we could all implement that in our marketing today. I think it's unfortunate. We oftentimes only think one level down instead of like that, that trickle down effect. And that, I think that's really where you do get that long-term value across the board. 
Yeah, and like something you just said too resonated. Well, for one, it brought up the the whole like 80-20 rule, right? Like, I mean, I, I think like we spend so much and like I'll put on my marketing hat for a minute, right? Like as a marketer, uh, you know, I spend so much of my time doing stuff that ultimately contributes very little to the success of, of, of my marketing. Right. And so one of the greatest uh, like exercises that we can go through, it doesn't matter if you're a marketer or not, like whatever it is that you do is recognizing where the 20% of your effort correlates to the 80% of the output of that effort and let go the 80% effort that only correlates to 20% of the output. Because across the board, it's, it's actually a, like a law, right? It right. is the, the, the 80-20 the rule. And, uh, and so we, you know, and then, and then the other thing that when you were talking came to mind is, um, you know, responding to use, like user feedback, critical. I'm such, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a feedback fiend. I love right. it. Um, n n n like there, there are a few things, there are a few things I like more from our users than their feedback. Right. Um, their, their use is first <laughs> and then their feedback is second. Right. right. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and at the same time, like I would say in the early days of Fable, it being sort of like our, our first, uh, stab at, at, at developing a software product, we, we were like, oh my God, like, so, you know, this client is asking for this. So all of a sudden, like dev team, what do you think about like, how quickly can we get that feature spun up for them to make them happy? And like, we would do it. And then we would like lose two weeks on the product roadmap that we had actually proactively developed and planned on. And then you get another during that, that two week sprint for one client, you get another feature request. And all of a sudden you become this like reactive dev shop. Yep. And ultimately a lot of the features that you're shipping aren't features that are truly valuable to the full set of platform users. And so for me, like a platform thinking has been a huge exercise continues to be like a daily practice for me is just thinking about the notion of a platform and how like constraint breeds breeds creativity less is more most of the time sure. and 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 then and then the the like the flip side of that is understanding that you know and, and like and i say this as like with as much humility as possible but like i've spent 15 years in design focused visual media storytelling based publishing right, right. Like I know a lot about that. I know what works, I know what doesn't. I know how designed content experiences on the web result in deeper page scroll depth, more content consumed, higher conversion rates off of a call to action button or a subscription or even an ad being clicked on. Like I know that stuff because I've lived it. And like I've been in the trenches, I failed a thousand times, I learned from those failures and like I fail better next time, right? And like that's what I've been doing. And as a result, like what a lot of the users of fable and you know and forget fable it doesn't have to be our platform but like what a lot of users need is like they need expertise they're struggling with something and yeah. they're looking for help and so if all of a sudden like i start to help them and they're like hey i think you should help me this way eh, like really i i don't know if that's actually the best thing all the time right. and granted i'm all about like hit me with that like i want the <laughs> feedback and a lot you know and a lot of a lot of times i'm like holy shit, that is a great idea. I'd never thought of that before. Let's run a quick survey and see how many clients would benefit from this feature. And then, you know, eight out of 10 people are like, yeah, I've thought about that. Boom, on the product exactly. roadmap, make it happen. But most of the time it's like, no, actually, let me, like, let me show you how you can achieve 
a better result using the existing feature that we've developed that is a different approach to getting you where you're trying to go. And we gave a lot of thought and consideration to building this feature. And again, like it gets you where you want to be. It's just a different path there. And most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, that's great. I never thought about that, you know? So I think like relying on the expertise of the product designers a lot of time and just like putting stock in their knowledge, um, you know, if it's a legitimate, like high quality, uh, uh, like software product develop development team, like a lot of the time they, they kind of like have a pretty good idea of what's going on and how to help you. Um, so especially if they're giving that, feedback, right? Or even kind of putting themselves out there, especially today where I think, you know, part of it is understanding why they say it, where they're saying it, and how they make that all work. But, you know, I love this discussion. I, I, I thank you for jumping on here. I, I want to pick your brain about entrepreneurship, uh, the collaboration, like how you've sustained. I'm going to bring you back next month. I'm a, I'm, I haven't asked you offline. I'm asking you now. I would love to have you back. Uh, we'll bring you back. I, I love to pick, you know, it's, we'll strip marketing out of it and just talk about the journey. You and I have had some very, uh, you know, I'd say some philosophy-based uh, life uh, discussions that I think is really valuable for the audience here as well. Um, we're, all, we're also um, you know, kind of pulling some of the things together uh, for you guys, the audience here that want to dive into Fable, um, some, some preferred partner pricing that you've kind of hooked me up with uh, that I'll include in the show notes here. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap all that things in. I want to have that, this discussion um, again in a, in a couple of weeks because uh, I think this is, you know, as we're moving forward, different points of view, different things, uh, you know, doing things differently. But at the same time, it's kind of keeping it simple. So I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got to yeah, go pick up those kids of yours uh, to do. And uh, we will have you back on the show uh, very soon. But until uh, next time, my friend, make it a good one. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. As always, a pleasure speaking with you. Look forward to next time. All right, man. Cheers. All right. Take care.